please be seated, friends, and uh, turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to Psalm Psalm 19. Uh, Psalm 19, as we'll read this wonderful passage, which begins to the choir master, uh, a psalm of David. And if a psalm is written uh, to the choir master, uh, that tells us that this is a song, a psalm uh, that is meant to be sung. So this is the word of the Lord for us this evening from Psalm Psalm 19. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, pray for his help together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this uh, inestimable privilege we have to have uh, your word uh, before us uh, in its fullness, uh, in its wonder, uh, in all its glory. And we thank you that we can come together on this Lord's Day evening uh, to hear you speak to us. And so we pray that by the work of your Holy Spirit, that these words would not remain simply words upon the page, but that these would be words uh, that live uh, within us and that we live out uh, in the week to come. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Recently, uh, read an article uh, which was entitled, uh, denialism, uh, what drives people to reject the truth? What drives people to reject the truth? Uh, the author, who is no friend of Christianity, uh, wrote this. We are all in denial, some of the time at least. Denialism is an expansion, an intensification of denial. 
At root, denial and denialism are simply a subset of the many ways humans have developed to use language to deceive others and themselves. Denial can be as simple as refusing to accept that someone else is speaking truthfully. Denial can be as unfathomable as the multiple ways we avoid acknowledging our weaknesses and secret desires. Denialism is more than just another manifestation of the humdrum intricacies of our deceptions and self-deceptions. It represents the transformation of the everyday practice of denial into a whole new way of seeing the world. Denialism is combative and extraordinary. Denial hides from the truth. Denialism builds a new and better truth. Or so we think in our culture. New York Times, 2018, an article entitled, How Do You Explain the Obvious? America is built, they wrote, on an appeal to the obvious. The Declaration of Independence holds its truths to be self-evident. That means axiomatic, irreducible, not needing justification because they justify themselves. What Americans have confronted, this article says, lately is a state of affairs in which many of our most basic paradigms are no longer obvious to everyone. What was once obvious is no longer obvious. Uh, Like male and female, for instance, is what we immediately think of. Uh, Denial of the truth. Denial of the obvious. Well, in many ways, Psalm 19 uh, is all about uh, the obvious. Uh, The obvious uh, revelation of the glory of God. Psalm 19 is filled with wonderful words, uh, wonderful words of life in creation, in God's word, uh, which then demands our words of uh, praise and confession in return. Uh, It should be obvious. Uh, This psalm often is, uh, some some folks say this is two psalms in one sense, uh, broken up together, or broken or pieced together. You'll notice the first six verses clearly speak about the Lord's revelation in creation, and the last verses speak about God's revelation in his word, in his, uh, in his law. But hopefully, as we'll see, uh, this psalm is not really, uh, it, it makes sense that these two things go together, because it's all about uh, the Lord's words, uh, his speech, uh, and, his, and his voice. And so we want to think about this psalm tonight uh, as a revelation of the wonderful words of life. First of all, we have uh, words uh, of the creation. The heavens, verse 1, declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. could be translated this way. The heavens keep keep reciting the glory of God, and the skies go on highlighting the work of his hands. The glory of God. What does that mean? Well, the glory, the root word for glory here in Psalm 19 means weightiness uh, or impressiveness. Uh, it's, uh, the meaning of this word is brought out, for instance, in the, in the New Testament, as the New Testament picks, on this, picks up on this uh, uh, theme uh, on glory of God being weighty. When in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, we read these words. So we do not lose heart as Christians, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction that is on this earth. And uh, 
death that we must face. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So the Bible there, holding up to the Christian, uh, an eternal uh, weight of glory. That is that what is to come uh, is, uh, is of such weight and impressiveness uh, that it far outweighs uh, in comparison anything that we experience uh, on this earth. But it's that idea of weight and impressiveness uh, that is meant to be conveyed with that word. His handiwork, uh, the skies above proclaim his handiwork, the work of his hands, that's referring to his power, his ability, no doubt his care and precision in all that he does. You'll remember in Romans 1, the Bible talks about uh, the creation uh, reveals the divinity of God, the power of God. It's, it's clearly perceived, uh, this uh, handiwork. Of God, And notice that uh, Psalm 19 says that this proclamation, this declaring, uh, goes on uh, all the time. Verse 2, day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. What is that saying? Well, that's saying that this uh, sermon uh, of the creation all around us uh, never ends. It is the sermon uh, that never ends. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Kind of like you felt sometimes when I've been preaching. It goes on and on and on. But this is even longer. Uh, this goes on day by day. Um, night by night. Um, this preaching goes on. And here the focus is on the heavens and the skies uh, above. Uh, it should remind us of the many other places in Scripture that uh, sing the, a similar theme. For instance, in Isaiah 40, uh, verses 25 through and following. To whom, says the Lord, then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might and because he's strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. People are saying, where's God? He doesn't, he's not there. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. But there Isaiah the prophet says, look up and see when you doubt the presence and glory of God. So the creation, the Bible says here, speaks continually everywhere so that everyone around the world hears but it's not actually words. It's not actually words. There is no speech, verse 3, nor are there words uh, whose voice is not heard. And yet, though there's not actual words, there are words. Uh, there is a voice, even though it's silent, verse 4. Their voice, uh, or their line, that is their reach, uh, goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And so... Uh, though it is a silent uh, witness, it is nonetheless a speaking uh, all the time. So that's why when we sing in the hymnal, first hymn of 120, first uh, stanza 122, goes like this. God, all nature sings thy glory, and thy works proclaim thy might. Ordered vastness in the heavens, ordered course of day and night. Beauty in the changing seasons, beauty in the storming sea. 
all the changing moods of nature. Praise the changeless Trinity. It's what we sing. Uh, on and on it goes. So no words, uh, but uh, they are saying something, and, and it's undeniable. Uh, we get a lot of these passages, for instance, in the book of Job. Job himself testifies to this. Elihu, his, his faithful friend, testifies to this too, the greatness of God. And in particular here in Psalm 19, uh, the prime example of God declaring his glory day by day is the sun. Every day, every day, uh, like a bridegroom, we read here in Psalm 19, every day, like a bridegroom leaving his tent, crossing the sky to meet his bride. Uh, every day, like an Olympic runner, uh, starting at the blocks every day, joyfully running his race uh, to the finish. Now, this, of course, is told from the, the human perspective of Earth and what appears in the sky. This is not a scientific explanation of the movement of the stars and planets, uh, but it is descriptive of what we actually see. But notice here, the Bible, uh, as opposed to all of other pagan literature here, doesn't say the sun is God. It doesn't say worship the sun. Uh, no, the sun is like a runner. The sun is like a bridegroom. Uh, speaking of the glory of God, who has, who has put it there. And nothing is hidden uh, from its heat. Uh, Jonathan Sarfati is a uh, scientist who works for Creation Ministries. He wrote this about the sun. Recent research has called the sun, yeah, exceptional. Uh, it's actually an ideal size to support life on Earth. There would be little point in having a red supergiant star like Betelgeuse because it's so huge that it would engulf all the inner planets. Nor would we want a star like the blue-white supergiant Rigel, or Rigel, 25,000 times, imagine that, 25,000 times as bright as the sun. We wouldn't want that either. Um, and a star much smaller than our sun would be too faint to support life. This sun, 92, uh, we're told, 92 million miles away from the Earth. 860,000 miles in diameter. The sun. Uh, it weighs, uh, we're told, 330,000 times uh, the size and weight of the Earth. Uh, you could fit 1.3 million Earths inside the sun. If you were to uh, uh, step on the sun, even if you had uh, Birkenstocks or the best shoes money could buy, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, 5,470 degrees Celsius to step on the sun. And, uh, sorry to say, at its core, 14 million degrees Celsius. Uh, nothing is hidden from its heat. So here's the thing. Every day, everywhere, the creation proclaims in silent words. What is it proclaiming? It's proclaiming glory, glory, glory. So why don't men and women hear and fall down in, in worship? Well, because Romans 1 tells us, even though every moment of the day, everywhere around the planet, uh, the glory of God is being proclaimed by his handiwork, uh, men and women and children suppress that truth. They try to hold it down. But it keeps, keeps coming back up. And then they try to press it down again. But it keeps, it keeps coming back. But what's the result when we suppress 
the glory of God. Well, the, the, uh, the result in Romans 1 is, of course, when we suppress the truth of the glory of God that Psalm 19 says is coming at us all the time. Uh, Romans 1 said it ends in, it ends in chaos. It ends in, uh, it ends in society falling apart, immorality running rampant. Uh, the mind darkens, empires fall, nations crumble. So the words of creation are wonderful words. They're sufficient to leave everyone, everywhere, every day, without excuse. But because of sin, these words that are bombardings from the heavens and sky above are insufficient to lead us to an understanding of our sin, salvation, and a Savior. That's why we need uh, the words of the Creator. We've got words of the creation, and we've got words of the Creator. Verse 7 to 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, and don't ever think different. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving, giving life to the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous uh, all together. Now notice we move from uh, the glory of God. He's referred to as El in verse 1. The glory of God. Uh, as he reveals himself all over, the, all over the planet. But in verses 7 and following... We hear that refrain again, the Lord, the Lord. That's a different name for the Lord. That's Yahweh. That's the covenant God who has chosen a people, redeemed a people, drawn a people to himself, and has, um, and has spoken to them. Sinai <laughs> and, uh, and in his son. These are words of the, the creator. And uh, we move to the, the covenant God here uh, who gives words that are meant to strike home at the heart of, uh, of his people and, and, and that are given to us, written down in stone for our, for our blessing. What are these words like? What are these words like? Well, they too uh, are wonderful uh, words of life. The law of the Lord, verse 7, is perfect, uh, reviving the soul. The word law is the word Torah in Hebrew. Uh, it means, uh, doesn't just mean law. It really means doctrine, teaching, instruction. All the instruction that God gives us is Torah. It is His law. It is His law word. And that word is perfect. It's flawless. It's complete. Uh, it means without blemish, uh, without defect. In fact, it's the exact same word perfect there that's used of uh, the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord, uh, that was used in the last psalm we just read in Psalm 18, verse 30. Uh, when the psalmist cries out, this God, uh, his way is perfect, flawless, complete, without blemish. Same thing uh, is said here about the word of this God, the word of the Lord, uh, reviving the soul. When the covenant God speaks his word, that word he speaks, Revives the soul, brings life to the soul. Makes you think. It should make you think. The psalm will come to in some time, but it's Psalm 23, talking about the Lord is our shepherd. Remember this line: He restores my soul. 
It's the same word. He revives my soul. How does he do that? Well, the Bible says he speaks his word into your life. And it brings life. should remind us of uh, Peter's words to Jesus. Remember, people are leaving Jesus because of the, of the teaching. I think it's about when he's talking about his, that you've got to eat, his, eat, his, eat the bread and, and, and drink. You have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And some leave him and Jesus turns to them and the disciples and say, are you going to leave me too? And, and the Apostle Peter says, Lord, where are we going to go to? You alone have the words of life. Words of life spoken by Jesus. Well, what else do we find out? Well, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Testimony sometimes is used in the Old Testament of what was written on the tablets given Moses on Sinai. Uh, to the Ten Commandments, make wise the simple. The word simple there is the open-minded or those who are uh, ready uh, to be taught. Uh, their mind is uh, open, as it were, ready to be filled um, the law of God fills that in, makes us wise uh, in living for him. The precepts of the Lord are right, uh, rejoicing the heart. Listen to Dale Davis. Precepts may carry a distinctive note of authority. Its root points to what is appointed, appointed by Yahweh, and therefore meant to be kept. But if precepts breathes authority and sovereignty... Uh, they are nevertheless right, and they, we read, keep making the heart joyful, rejoicing the heart. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, says Davis this. This is oxymoronish to the world. It doesn't make sense. To those outside the covenant, outside of a relationship to the covenant Lord, the corollary, what goes with sovereignty, is drudgery. But to covenant insiders, he writes... The corollary, or what goes along with sovereignty, is delight when you have a God who speaks precepts into your life. That what Yahweh imposes should incite joy in his people, utterly mystifies uh, Wormwood, representative of the evil one, and all his disciples in this age. The world can't figure that out. How you as a Christian could believe in the Bible, can believe that God has spoken, uh, can believe that God has given you the Ten Commandments, uh, and a way to live uh, and be joyful about it. That he's, he's shown you the way of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then called you to, to live a life of thankfulness and gratitude. The world can't understand that. How can you rejoice in, in not just doing whatever you want to do? And you say, no, I want to I please the Lord. Because he saved me. He's redeemed me. He's spoken words of life that have, have revived me. And so when I hear his precepts, I find great joy in them. Because I am not left to myself, but he has given me the way to live for his glory. What else do we read about these wonderful words of life? The commandment of the Lord, verse 8, is pure, uh, enlightening uh, the eyes. Uh, pure. The commandment there is all, it's in the singular, it's all that which the Lord requires uh, of his people, summarized by Jesus, is love for God, love for neighbor. All of all of that, all of the commandment of the Lord is pure. That means spotless, enlightening the eyes. We came across this in Psalm thirteen three. That is, it gives understanding, it gives perspective, it gives refreshment, it gives vigor, it gives renewal of strength. One of those commands, of course, that comes to us is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will have eternal life. 
Now the commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes, giving renewed strength. You've got to ask yourself the question, have you, have you, ever, uh, have you ever experienced that? Here the psalmist is describing the, the words of life that come to us from, from the Lord, rejoicing the heart, uh, enlightening the eyes. Have you ever had it when you've uh, heard a commandment or you've heard some word that God has spoken in his word and, uh, and your eyes have been enlightened and you've been renewed and you've been revived and you've been strengthened or even come to faith in him? This is what the Lord does. All the time, around the globe. He does it for Augustine. As Augustine picked up a Bible, he heard some kids playing. They said, take up and read. He picks up his Bible, which is there. And he reads from Romans 13, 13 and 14. Don't, don't give over to a life of lust. Uh, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he reads that, that passage. And the Lord uh, enlightens his eyes. I had it with myself, with Psalm 50, uh, verse 15. Call upon the Lord in the day of trouble. And he will deliver you. And you will honor him. And, uh, and, and it's, as it were, the light, the light comes on. You might remember the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 where he talks about, I wouldn't have known what coveting was. I wouldn't have known uh, the, the depth of that sin unless the law hadn't told me, you shall not covet. And then it enlightens his eyes to his own sin so that he can embrace the Savior. That's what the Word does. That's what makes them wonderful words of life. So they convict of sin to drive us to the Savior. Verse 9, the rules of the Lord uh, are His just decrees. Uh, the applications of God's law that we find, for instance, in Exodus and Leviticus. Well, what about those? Well, the rules of the Lord are true. They are righteous all together. We don't read them and say, well, this doesn't make sense. How can this possibly be? Well, this was obviously Moses and thousands of years ago. We don't believe like that anymore. No, they are true. We may not understand them uh, as we should, and it takes time and diligence. What does it mean? But don't ever doubt they're true and righteous altogether. And we need God's grace and help at times to understand them. But then in the midst of that, in the beginning of verse 9, uh, characterizing the words of the Lord, David speaks of our response to him right in the midst of that when he speaks in verse 9 of the fear of the Lord, the reverencing of the Lord is clean, pure, enduring forever. In other words, in the midst of listing all these characteristics of these wonderful words of life, David says the, the right response, the proper response to these words of life is this reverence in him that never goes out of style, that lasts forever. Uh, it never becomes, as it were, a passe to hold this God who has spoken in great reverence, uh, in great and awesome fear that he is the holy God to be respected and loved and worshipped. Psalm 96.9 says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Psalm 97.4 His lightnings light up the world. The earth. Listen to this. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. <laughs> so you think that, you know, lightning, when you hear lightning, when you hear rumbling and things like that, uh, the Bible says what's going on when the, when the God of heaven speaks in lightning and thunder. What you're hearing is the creation itself uh, trembling 
before the proclamation of the glory and the power of God. And, and we are meant to, to tremble in the sense of, not out of judgment, because we're, this is the covenant Lord who's speaking to his people, but out of fear and reverence, and such fear and reverence lasts forever. So here's a good test for you and for me of our spiritual condition uh, as David leads us here in this psalm. How do you approach and hear uh, and receive and respond to uh, this word of the Lord? Which is perfect. Uh, it uh, rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes, um, true and righteous altogether. How do you respond? Well, the Bible says, uh, fear of the Lord, reverencing the Lord, speaks in creation, speaks in his law. Or do you respond to his word like you do the Encyclopedia Britannica? Like I respond when I go to a, a yard sale in the summer and I see a set of, uh, I don't know, a hundred Encyclopedia Britannicas from uh, 1966. I think uh, those will never sell. Never. Who cares? Why are you even trying to pawn those off on somebody? Nobody's interested. Or do you respond to the word like you do to your 8th grade uh, science textbook? You know, uh, too expensive, and uh, I never want to go through that again. Um, you know, something like that. Unless you love science, of course. Maybe you're in it all the time. Most people, you know, an old textbook from school? Trash. Or, you know, might have something handy in there, but... Oh, no, no. Perfect, flawless, complete words of reviving the soul. I've never had my soul revived reading an encyclopedia. Never had my eyes enlightened, but I have. And you have, as you've read the wonderful words of life. In our men's study, we've been reading the book by J.I. Packer, As for Godliness, and we came across an illustration from uh, the Puritan John Rogers in the 1620s where he was calling his people uh, to repent for their net neglect of the Bible. And he was speaking to 500 people, and uh, someone there witnessed the scene. And this is how they described the scene, as this pastor was, re, re, was calling his people to account for neglecting these words of life. And they're describing John Rogers. He personates or impersonates God to the people. So if he takes on the uh, character of God, telling the people, well, I've trusted you. So he's doing this from the pulpit, remember. Well, I've trusted you so long with my Bible. It lies in such and such houses, all covered with dust and cobwebs. You care not to listen to it. Do you use my Bible so? Well, you shall have my Bible no longer. And then Pastor Rogers takes up the Bible from his cushion and uh, seems as if he were going away with it and carrying it from them. So he takes up his Bible, leaves the pulpit, and is about to leave, the, uh, leave uh, in front of the people. And, uh, but immediately he turns again, this writer says, and uh, personates the people to God. Then he pretends he's the people responding to God, falling down on his knees, crying and pleading most earnestly, Lord, whatever you do to us, Take not your Bible from us. He said to the people, he said, kill our children, burn our houses, destroy our goods, only spare us thy Bible. Take not away thy Bible. And then he personates God again to the people. Say you so? Is this what you really want? Well, I will try you a while longer. And here is my Bible for you. I will see how you will use it, whether you will love it more. Observe it more. Practice it more. And live more uh, according to it. 
wonderful words of life. How do we respond? Well, how does David respond uh, to these wonderful words of life? Words of the creation, voice everywhere, words of the creator, uh, reviving the soul. And then we've also got some words of the creature here in verses 10 and following. And they go like this. Verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The awesome testimony of God's glory in creation and his revealed written word elicits, calls forth the words of David in adoration and praise and confession. Because if God has spoken and revealed his glory and will to us, And if these words revive, make wise, rejoice, enlighten, and are true and righteous altogether, uh, David says, I must have them. (laughs) That's what he says. They are more to be desired. Are they than gold? The word there, more to be desired, you could translate it this way. More to be coveted. More to be coveted. Remember that word? It's in the Ten Commandments when it tells us not to do it. You shall not covet, that is, greatly desire things that don't belong to you. Other people's spouses, their lands, their vehicles, their houses, and things like that. But this is a holy coveting. David says this kind of coveting, desiring, could be translated lusting. After. That is, you have to have it. More to be coveted, more to be desired are they, that is, the words of life that the Lord speaks, than gold. Please give me, says David, these words. Where can I find them? Gather them up and mine for them like gold. Where can I find a buffet of them to eat up like honey from the honeycomb? Is that how you think of the words of the Lord? If that's so, uh, if so, that's why you want to be where that word is. You want to be in a place where the word of God is preached and proclaimed. Because there are more to be desired, these words, than anything else. In the preaching of the word, in the Lord's Day worship, in a Bible study, in family devotions, in personal devotions, you're saying, please give me more of the words of life that have come from my covenant, Lord. Oh, if our children would only ask for Bible readings as much as they ask for ice cream. You know? If adults would only pursue the Almighty God in His Word as they pursue the so-called Almighty Dollar in their lives. More to be desired, not less says David, not equally so, more so. Someone translated it this way. We're to have an unrelenting appetite for the words of life. You think of Peter in the New Testament who says we are to crave uh, like newborn infants the word that the Lord has spoken. The words of Jesus uh, in in the Gospels. The words of life. Crave them. Desire them. That speaks to us about how we value the word, like gold, 
and how we enjoy the word. Honey <laughs> to the taste. And so I think of Winnie the Pooh. And all those times we watch Winnie the Pooh with our, with our young children. And Winnie the Pooh doing all he can. All he can okay, to, to get more honey. He'll do anything. Sometimes not wise. And then when he gets that honey, and he gets those piles of pots, he doesn't leave it half full. Right? He's scooping it out. More to be desired. Sweeter than honey. That appetite, of course, for David then includes a prayer to be searched by that word. Right? Moreover, by them, verse 11, your, your servant warned, keeping them, there's great reward. Who can discern his errors? There are none in the Lord. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Search me out. There's things I don't even know about. Sin in my life. Hidden, I, I, maybe I've hit self-deceived myself. Lord, uncover them. Uh, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. You, O Lord, and your word are perfect. I can't see all the ways I fall short of your glory. Hidden faults, presumptuous sins, great transgression. Only the Lord can keep me back, but I am your servant. And the goal here of David is that the words of his mouth would be acceptable in the sight of the Lord. And the meditations of his heart, that is, the wellspring of his life, the control center of all he thinks, says, and do, does, well, that would be acceptable and pleasing in the sight of the Lord. That is his prayer in response to these wonderful words. Creation from the covenant Lord who speaks to him and speaks to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he prays this searching prayer. Lord, then let that word search me out uh, so, that, so that I would be pleasing in your sight. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in, in Romans 12 as that chapter opens. talks about knowing the will of the Lord so he can do it. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, is David here saying something like, um, uh, you know, he can do all this on his own strength? Well, no, of course, because he ends the psalm this way. O Lord, again, O Yahweh, O my covenant God, my rock and uh, my redeemer. See, O Lord, that is my covenant God, my loving God, my faithful God, my steadfast loving God. You are my rock. The heaven and the skies declare your glory, and you are my Redeemer. Your words reveal to me that there is life uh, only in you, forgiveness only in you. It's very similar to what Paul says in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You see, you and I have the same desire that David did. We want to present ourselves acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we do that? Well, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. How do you present your life as a living sacrifice? By having in mind and heart the mercies of God that he has revealed to you in his word, by his spirit. Mercies that come to you in and only through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in view of those mercies, O oh Lord, 
Help us to be a living sacrifice, acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. One commentator aptly titles this psalm, Three Voices in Harmony, Proclaiming the Glory of God. The creation, the Word, and you and I in response to His revealed glory, singing His glory back to Him. While we sang a song uh, in this service tonight called Wonderful Words of Life, they were written in 1874 by a fellow named Philip Bliss. Philip Bliss grew up in Clearfield County, Pennsylvania, born there in 1838. He left home as a young boy to make a living by working on farms and in lumber camps. He came to faith in Christ at 12 years old. He became a music teacher. Uh, how does this sound, Rich? Making house calls on horseback uh, during the winter. Uh, he was a singing evangelist. He published a series of hymn collections with Ira Sankey called Gospel Hymns. When he was 38 years old, he was traveling with his wife to Chicago by train to lead singing at some services when the train was crossing a trestle bridge near Ashtabula, Ohio. And the bridge gave way, and all but the engine car plummeted to the icy waters below, and a fire broke out. Their bodies were never found. Mr. Bliss's trunk carrying all his clothing and such, reached Chicago safely because earlier that same train had to pull over and had some work done on it, so they took all the trunks and put them on another train, sent them on ahead to Chicago. And when his trunk was opened, it was found that the last song that he had written before his death began as follows. I know not what awaits me. God kindly veils my eyes. The trunk also contained many poems which had not yet had music written for them. And one of them would be published two years later, and it started this way. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. Sing, oh sing, of my Redeemer. With his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt. And made me free. You see, this is how David responds to the glory of the Lord all around him that bombards him every day, and to those wonderful words of life that come to him through that proclaimed word of God, word that brings life, revives the soul. How does he respond? O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. These friends are wonderful words. Of life, maybe they, maybe they be the words uh, that are on your lips as you go to bed tonight, uh, and as we go to serve Him uh, into this week. Let's pray uh, together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for these wonderful words of life that you come and bring to us in the Scripture. That we can indeed, uh, Lord, long for them, uh, treasure them up uh, as gold, uh, greater than much fine gold, and that their taste in our mouth, in our heart, uh, would be sweeter than honey. Sweeter because we know that not only is it words for this life, but for life eternal. These are words that speak to us of a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And with the Apostle Peter, uh, Lord, we say tonight, where else would we go? For you alone 
have the words of life. So, Lord, we pray that we would treasure them, that we would meditate on them, that we would gather them up, O oh Lord, and that we would then seek, like the psalmist, to know that you are our rock and redeemer, and so then to live in this week to come in a way that brings you the glory that is revealed all around us, but that we sing back to you as our expression of praise, thankfulness for who you are, what you've done, and how you've redeemed us, that we might be yours. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.